go into the second part of Acts chapter 13, we will see a couple patterns. Number one, the proclamation of the gospel. And how it is that there's a mixed reception of the gospel and an opposition to the gospel. But we will also see another pattern. And that is the basic presentation of the gospel as we have seen evidence in the life of Peter back in Acts chapter 2 verses 16 through 41. In Stephen in Acts chapter 7 verses 1 through 53. And an overall clear understanding of how the plan of salvation through Christ has been prophesied throughout Israel's history. And that is why Stephen, Peter, and Jesus, you remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and how Paul uh, did so this morning, and Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch are all examples of this very thing. Uh, Now, Paul can take an Old Testament scripture and point to Christ. And this is why it is important for the Christian to read, study, and meditate on the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I encourage you not just to read the New Testament, but go back to the Old Testament. Read it. And I would encourage you to read it at least once a year. And see how it all fits together. And how it all comes together and points to Jesus Christ. So let's see what happens as Paul and Barnabas continue their missionary journey from the island of Cyprus to the mainland and into Antioch of Pisidia, which is present-day Turkey. Let's begin by reading in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down after the reading from the law. And the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue, sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said, and we'll hold that until the next portion, but... This is what took place. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon our time of study. And Lord, that you would give us understanding, Lord, that you would minister to us individually and as you see fit. Father, also I pray that we would consider the fact that even though we're studying the word, Lord, that this is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to us this morning, as if you were speaking to us, which you are. So let us be mindful of that. We're not just studying about your word. Lord, we're being ministered by your word. And so I pray, Father, that you would open up our eyes to see the truth of your word and apply it to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So three things. Number one, we're going to start out seeing how it is that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were sent to deliver the message. Not just a message, not their message, but the message. There's only one message that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas was really set aside and anointed to go declare. As we previously saw when Paul and Barnabas were in Cyprus, that from the eastern shore to the western shore, they proclaimed nothing but the word of God. And it was no different when they sailed north 
and arrived at Perga in Pamphylia and then made their way up north to Antioch in Pisidia, which would be Turkey. In, in, on today's map, we would see it as being within Turkey and in that day would be considered to be the region of Galatia. Now, in the midst of the mission, as we started out here in verse 13, we see how it was that one John Mark decided to leave and return to Jerusalem. Now, there are many theories, there are many thoughts as to why it was that John Mark had left the missionary team. But let me put it really... um, just plain to you? We, we don't know. You'll hear, and this is one of the things that, that uh, I, I truly appreciate um, from Pastor Chuck Smith, is that when he said, where the Bible is silent, uh, I will remain silent. And, and so therefore, I cannot expound on something that isn't there. We can only assume, we can kind of theorize, but we don't know exactly why it was that John Mark left the group, and went back to Jerusalem. But he did. We do know this, that Paul wasn't too happy about that decision. In fact, Paul regarded it as abandonment and was not only disappointed with John Mark, but Paul also distrusted him for future missionary trips. And we will see, as we continue our study through the book of Acts, how it was that this very thing, as Barnabas will, will ask that John Mark join them again in another missionary trip, that Paul refused, and there was division that came between Paul and Barnabas even. What this demonstrates, basically, is that issues will even arise within the ranks of those serving God. It'll happen. When one or several quit. The question is this, regardless of what it is, what will you do? What will you do? When you consistently experience desertion from those who say they're in the journey with you to the end, one tends to lose heart now and then until God reminds you that these things happen And people are fickle, but he is not. He is faithful. And he is with you all the way to the end. So the question is, as the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were faced with this question, what will you do? Because that's really what matters. Your faith and your walk with the Lord should not be dependent upon other people's walk and their faith in the Lord. It should be based on a personal relationship with him. That's why time and time again it's emphasized and you're encouraged. Look to Jesus, not to others, not to men. You have to look and keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your faith. You have to look to him. What will you do when people around you quit serving, quit going to Bible studies, quit going to church consistently, and quit altogether following Jesus? Will you remain? Will you continue to walk with your Savior? Will you continue going and telling others the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ? Will you continue in fellowship? Well, to our encouragement and to our blessing, 
Paul and Barnabas did continue. A great example. And they arrived at Perga and then went on from there to Antioch and Pisidia, which is, again, in the region of Galatia in present-day Turkey. And on the Sabbath, Paul and Barnabas went to synagogue. Now, this was, this was a, a traditional uh, presentation or a, a um, uh, how synagogue would, would actually work. They would have the reading or the, the prayers, the opening prayers and the prayers. They would read from the law and the prophets. And then they would call on certain people who were studied or learned in the scriptures to come and expound on the scriptures that were read. It'd be like uh, for us coming together, and I just read through Acts chapter 13, and then select, which I, I may do in a few moments, just select someone to come up and just expound on the scriptures. So just uh, be praying for whoever it is that's going to come up and expound on the scriptures. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't do that to you. But that's how it happened. Can you imagine all being together and we're just going to pray. We're going to read from the law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. We're going to read from the prophets. And then something from that section of scripture, someone would come up and teach. And so this is what took place. An invitation went out to Paul and Barnabas. And it says here, Paul stood up and motioned with his hand. I have something to say. You see, Paul knew that he was sent to deliver the message of reconciliation. And this was the moment that God had divinely appointed for him to open up his mouth and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He discerned the moment and took full advantage of it. This is the time that the Lord had given to him. You see, when you're mindful of the Lord and the message of reconciliation, when it's deep in your heart, when it's the very thing that you are passionate about, you're always looking for the moment of opportunity to share with someone the good news of Jesus Christ. You speak it boldly. You're ready to do it with confidence. And in any place you're given the opportunity to declare the good news of Jesus Christ, you will do it. It's not the same way every time. But you're being led by the Holy Spirit. And so share with others. The Apostle Paul did this. As soon as they were asked, I don't imagine he turned to Barnabas other than to say, this is it. This is the very moment that God has given to us to declare the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message. And it has to do with the salvation of mankind, our very soul. Not the betterment of a worldly life and circumstances, but the hope of heaven and our eternal destination in the presence of God. When you cling to external things, at some point, you will grow hopeless because those things will fail. And so at this moment, Paul didn't hesitate when given the opportunity and he stood up and he motioned with his hands, hand that he had something to say. Continuing on in second part of verse 16, it says, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel chose our fathers 
and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then he asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. Let's stop there for a moment. Basically, the Apostle Paul gave a survey of Israel's history. That's what he did. They, they all were familiar with their past, with this history. And so he was bringing them along. Paul began in Egypt and continued through their deliverance from Egypt. Their 40 years in the wilderness, their entrance into the promised land. He even said that God was patient with them. He put up with them. And they knew this very well. Because they had a lot of people who perished in the wilderness. And yet he brought in those who were under the age of 18, right? into the promised land. So he told, he told them everything that they were already, already familiar with. He said, do you remember the time of Judges? That came. When you asked for a king, he gave you a king. He gave you Saul. And then came David. And Paul said, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior. Jesus, as he promised so God had promised even before a Savior, going back even to Genesis. But before he was introduced, there was a man who was also prophesied about. That is before Jesus was introduced. That is John the Baptist. And he came to prepare the people for Jesus of Nazareth. Now, as we continue, this is an explanation of the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus, who both were foretold of. Be, uh, continuing on in verse 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior. Jesus, as he promised before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, no. But behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. I absolutely love John the Baptist. A simple man whom we could learn so much from. A man who was placed on earth to do one thing. And that is prepare the way, prepare the people, prepare the hearts of the people to receive Christ. Now, it was common in those days for teachers to have disciples to follow them. But what was happening, as it is with man, is that these teachers were taking advantage of their disciples and having them do things that were very demeaning. And so the rabbis got together, the teachers, and and they what they did was they there were certain things that were just way below in demeaning and things that the rabbis, the teachers, were not to ask their disciples to do. One of them being 
to untie the sandals too. In other words, they, they weren't there to take off their shoes and put them back on. You know, um, but John the Baptist saw Jesus and he knew he was greater than him. And he says of him, of him I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. John saw himself differently. He's not just my rabbi, my teacher, but he is my Lord. He is my Savior, and he is my God. As we see, John referred to himself as being so below Jesus that he himself was not worthy even to do this for the Lord. In other words, this would be something honorable for me to do. It would be a privilege for me to do. I'm not even worthy of doing that. If only more people would see serving Christ that, this way. What is below the servant of Christ to do? There are many who say, here I am, send me, as Isaiah said, right? And yet, we put certain conditions. It's like saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. He says, okay, I'm ready to send you. Are you ready to do? Sometimes, um, you know, I've had people come and they say, hey, I want to serve. But they, the way I want to serve is I want to teach. Uh, I want to be behind the pulpit. And, and, and uh, this has happened. I'm like, okay, let's start out with you. Um, here's, here's a plunger. <laughs> here's a little brush. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do the things that to the world seem like below you? And quite honestly, not many people have stuck around that have come and said those very things. They stick around for a while and then they go on to another fellowship. If only more people would see themselves as John the Baptist saw himself in the presence of Jesus. There's nothing below me. I will do anything. I will sacrifice. I will do what my will perhaps would refuse to do. But who am I, as Peter said? Okay, Lord, I will do it. We should be willing to do that for the glory of God. There are too many people that stick to their own will and are stubborn and aren't willing to humble themselves. Many who say, here I am, send me. Oh, no, not that. <laughs> Offer me something I want to do or something that is not below me. John the Baptist said in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease continually. I hope to one day get to the point to where I am that man. There's nothing out. You want me to do that? No big deal. It's not sin? No big deal. I'll do it for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be a good testimony to others. And to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will do that. Whatever it is that you want me to do, Lord. I will do that. The moment we realize what Jesus 
has done for us and he becomes our Lord and Savior is the moment he continually increases in our lives as we decrease. Jesus increases in purpose and glory as we realize that we have been forgiven of all, justified and promised eternal glory in Christ. And we find our purpose and our identity in Jesus Christ and not the world or others around us. It's only in him. We see also the message of salvation as the Apostle Paul continues in verse 26. He says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of his, this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David... After he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Stop there. The message of salvation. Jesus was crucified according to prophecy. He's a fulfillment of prophecy. That's all Paul was saying. Y'all know this very well. Is as he brought forth the history of Israel, he brought him to Christ, the very seed of David. And he brought them through to the very thing that people in that day were eyewitnesses of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They, they've all witnessed this. This is the truth. I'm stating facts. That's what Paul was stating were facts. For them, they could have fact-checked it. And they would have realized that this was all true. He was hung on a tree as a condemned man, as Scripture says. Anyone who hangs on a tree is a condemned person. Although he was the blameless Lamb of God. He is the one who John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, this one who was crucified on the cross was laid in the tomb. Three days later, rose from the grave. He has conquered sin for you and I. And he has been resurrected to new life by the power of God. And conquered death. And he is alive and well. Of whom many here in that day were witnesses of and can testify to. He's the one that appeared to his disciples over the course of 40 days and then ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. 
According to Scripture, these things happened. And they knew, again, they knew it very well. If you actually study Scripture, if you don't just parrot what other people say about Scripture, about what they don't know about Scripture, then you will begin to realize that all this comes together in such a way that it's beyond dispute. That there's ample evidence, both biblical and extra-biblical, It is truly amazing. These are historical facts that Paul was declaring. Fulfilled prophecy that they all knew about and he was simply pointing to. These were events that actually happened. Christianity, you see, is based on factual evidence of events that were foretold since the beginning of time of which the fulfillment of God reconciling mankind to himself was known and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's a fact. These are not things to come, but rather things that have come and are known and are well documented. But the question is, why did Jesus come? And the Apostle Paul answers that as he continues in verse 38. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Oh, it came down to these two verses right here. Belief. It wasn't works. Fulfilling the law of Moses, that was works. You could never fulfill salvation. You can never reach heaven by the fulfillment of the law, for you cannot and will not ever do it perfectly. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, is what the Bible tells us. And if we really think about it, we know it to be true. What the keeping of the law of Moses could not do was done through faith in Jesus Christ. He said belief. That's what it is, belief. And your belief will be known by your works, by the very life that you lead. Jesus fulfilled the law and died in our place to pay for our sins by the shedding of his blood. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Now this is a conversation that Jesus had with a a rich young ruler. Some of you are very familiar with that story. But this is an example of an exchange. How it is that Jesus himself said the very thing. That if we put anything in the place of the Lord, that it'll keep us from knowing eternal life through him. So in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, it says, And a ruler asked him, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, 
to his disciples how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Going back to the law and going back to that of works. And so it is an an example for you and I. You and I, for the most part, we can be considered as being rich. We have much. It's like, no, 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 I'm I'm an average Joe. I I don't have much here. No, no, you're rich. I can take you to some places of the world where I, I can prove to you. You are rich beyond measure. And there are many things that we hold on to because we refuse to let them go. And that's called idolatry. Anything that takes the place of God is idolatry. We are worshiping and putting our hope in that, whatever it is, rather than in Jesus Christ. We're saying that's going to save me. That's the, the answer. That's the very thing that I'm following and not Jesus Christ. For this rich young ruler, the Lord knew. It wasn't works. It wasn't, hey, listen, the, the way that you're going to be uh, know eternal life is by selling everything, you know, doing works, and then coming and following me. That was not what he was telling him. Basically, Jesus knew his heart, and he said, this is the obstacle between you and me, between you and eternal life. It's these riches. Not that Jesus would have made him, because he doesn't make us do anything. Sell everything and come follow me. But was he willing to do it? Was he willing to give it all up for the sake of knowing eternal life with Jesus Christ? Was he willing to take that idol and say, this one thing is not going to come in between me and my salvation, knowing it through Jesus Christ? Willing to put it down. That's that's what the whole point was. What is stopping you from fully following the Lord? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that none of, uh, so that no one may boast. So, we're saved by grace through faith alone and Jesus alone. And uh, it has nothing to do with our works. It has to do with the, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's it. And so as the Apostle Paul so eloquently and simply put it, you will know salvation by simply doing one thing. Do you believe? Sincerely, genuinely, genuinely believe that Jesus is the Son of God who has died, was buried, was raised from the grave by the power of God and today sits at the right hand of the Father. You will be saved. But with this, Paul also gave a warning of what was said about those who would hear the gospel, not listen, and even mock. It kind of reminds me of the parable of the sower. You know, the, the seed of the sower. The sower is the Lord, and the seed is the word of God, the gospel. And it depends on what soil it lands on, whether it's going to bring fruit or not. Whether the, the cares of the world will choke it out, the the, uh, the anxieties of the world will choke it out or Satan himself will come immediately and take that word and pluck it from your heart. 
as soon as you hear it. This is a message for you and I, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, church, revival needs to happen here. We are in dark days. Are, are you hearing me here? This, this, is, this is the gospel that was presented to the, to the people then, but it's a gospel that we need to realize ourselves today. And some people here, perhaps, we're in mixed company. Some people are saved and others are not. You hear the message week in and week out and nothing happens. That's dangerous. I plead with you, lend God your ear and your heart. For he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He desires that people would would be fruitful Christians, passionately following him, sacrificially following him. And the reason why I wear this, and nobody's really asked me, is this little thing with a little hook. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. Anyone know that verse? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the whole thing. That's everything that I want to do. I want to learn how to follow Jesus Christ. And I want to make fishers of men by pointing them to Jesus Christ. That's all I want. And I want to be faithful in doing so. It's just a reminder as I wrap this. It's, it's what God can do and what he desires to do. I, I'm not up here just tickling your ear, which I hope I'm not doing. I'm here to declare the very gospel of Jesus Christ, to encourage you, to build you up by his spirit and by his truth. And that's it. That for us, we would say as John the Baptist, he must increase, but I must continually, continually decrease. Because there was this word of warning that the Apostle Paul gave to these people that were listening. He said in verse 40, back in Acts In verse 40, he says, Beware, beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. That is a dangerous place to be, but it was the very word of God. Warning, don't be this person. Let it be known that there will be people who not only... Don't receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, but actually mock you and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The rejection of the gospel will lead to their eternal separation from God and they will perish. The Lord will not be mocked. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8. The apostle Paul writes, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. God is never mocked. Always remember that. God isn't mocked. You, you just be faithful to declare the gospel. Declare the truth. Declare his grace. For it is truth. But God is never mocked. But look with me at their response. Verse 42 says, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, 
many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. How encouraging. For the Apostle Paul and Barnabas to get this type of response, the gospel was understood and received by many in just one message. That's all he spoke. That was it. That was that was that was it. That was his message. Many followed Paul and Barnabas after they broke up from their fellowship in the synagogue and, and they wanted to hear more. Explain some more. Tell me more. Let's go back to scripture. Old Testament. How was it fulfilled in Jesus Christ? And he just, I'm sure, walked him through, walked him through, walked him through from one Sabbath to the next. The people were encouraged by the apostle Paul and Barnabas to continue in the grace of God. In other words, they were to remain with the thought and belief that they were saved by God's grace. Keep this always in your mind. You're not saved by works. You're saved by God's grace. So keep your eyes on that and think about what you have been taught. That's what the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were encouraging them. Remember that. It's all about God's grace. Look at Scripture. Consider this truth. It was with them just as it is with us today. As we read Scripture and study it, we too are urged to continue in the grace of God and not fall back to a salvation that can never be won by our works. It will never come. The gospel is what God has done and what we could have never achieved on our own. Always remember that. How about you? Do you want to hear more? Do you want to hear more about God's grace? How hungry are you to hear about God's truth and his love for you? I, want, I need to hear more. I know Modesto did a great job in teaching on Wednesday. But we took a few days off, my family and I. And we took off to San Diego. We came back. And I can tell you, it's hard. I'd rather be here. You know, I, I love my family and I, I love being with them. They love, but, but the time, it's like, man, don't we long just to like, okay, we need to come back into the, into the fellowship. It's been too long, but pastor, you've only been, I mean, you taught last Sunday. I know, but I I can't wait. We can't wait. I have a wife that loves the Lord and loves the fellowship of the saints. Such an encouragement to me. We can't wait to come back. That's why the very first time that we came back after we were on lockdown, right? I so desired to see everyone busting down those doors. We even had two services thinking that's what was going to happen. We haven't been together as a fellowship. And I thought, man, there's going to be so many people that we're going to have to have two services, maybe go to three and who knows what. Didn't happen. But how about you? Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Paul was faithful to deliver the message, but opposition would indeed come again. 
So sent to deliver the message, delivering the message, and finally, in closing, responding to opposition. Verse 44, as we continue, says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Well, we're traveled. And so many people came the following Sabbath that that it was described as the whole city came to hear them. Did I say hear them? No, they, they didn't come to hear them. You know what they came to do? They came to hear the word of the Lord. That's what they came to do. Kind of like, um, it reminds me of the, of the time when Jonah finally came to Nineveh and, and everyone repented. It's kind of like, man, that kind of a response we saw in Antioch of Pisidia. The power of the gospel is beyond understanding, but only comes to those who hear and receive its promise with joy. Keep in mind what brought everyone together, the word of the Lord. And I cannot emphasize that enough. As good as our worship team is, it's not the worship team's amazing performance on stage or who the performer is. You know, if I were to... Now, we could do this. Hey, Phil Wickham is coming next Sunday. Then the door, I I tell you, if we were to announce it, we could not hold the people that would come next Sunday or anyone else, a special speaker. You know, I I realized a long time ago that I'll be very careful in using that to attract people. I don't want to do it. We we do all kinds of things. You, You want a good skating performance? You know, maybe we can put a half pipe in the back, put some bars that you can grind on, and, you know, skaters know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you can do all that. You know, then it'll bring you. Listen, we're not McDonald's. We're not, you know, saying here's the Happy Meal so that the parents can, the kids can bring the parents. You know, it needs to be, it always needs to be the word of God. Parents, teach your children that that is what should bring you into the fellowship. Not pizza and games. Not, not anything else. But you're here. And this is the fellowship of the saints. That's what this is. It's not the extracurricular activities that keep people busy between Sundays. That should be the attraction. It's not that. It's just the word of the Lord. And I'm deeply convicted with that. If anything other than the word of the Lord is keeping you here, then it's the wrong thing. If it's not the word itself, then you're focused and held in fellowship for the wrong reasons. And when whatever that is fails you, 
you will be disappointed and leave to seek that one thing somewhere else. That's what happens, and people move on and on and on and on. shouldn't be that. Well, we see here, and I, I know we've gone past our time, but bear with me, for I have shared my heart with you, church. Okay? Because jealousy and envy had caused the religious people to begin a work of undermining the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is something that will happen when you are delivering the gospel faithfully. There will be people who make every effort to turn others away from the faith, as we saw with Elimus the magician attempting to do with Sergius Paulus. When Paul boldly responded to their jealousy by referring to the presentation of the gospel as a privilege and an honor. Hey, listen, it was a privilege and an honor for me to bring you the gospel of Jesus Christ. But hey, listen, the Lord warned that this could happen, and it's happened. So... As you stir more people up to persecute, bring persecution upon us, I will bring it to the Gentiles. And I will simply at this point brush the dust off of my feet because I don't even want the dust from the city to stick upon me. And I will leave. I will go somewhere else and will continue to present the gospel. Well, the Gentiles, of course, were happy about the fact that salvation had come to them and that... um, They were coming to salvation at that point in droves. And so began the church in Galatia. And just get this. The church in Galatia, it all came about with one message and one week of expounding on that and teaching in the scriptures. One week. That was was all it took. And boom, it exploded in Galatia. So we need to notice how Paul and Barnabas responded to the rejection. He didn't keep going back to them. Take note, all right? He didn't try and continually go back to them, persuade them. Sometimes that's not what's needed. Sometimes it is, you know, just if you have someone who's receptive, you can continue to go back to them. But he didn't. It's like, hey, this is the truth of God's word. Without me explaining more, just take those basics and think about this. Do you believe just with what I've told you? Right? Sometimes we, man, we, we, we tie people up with all of our knowledge, everything that we know about God's word. I want to give it to you all, you know, and I'll come back again next week to you and try and convince you again and again and again. Like, hey, let's just go back to the fact that Jesus died for your sins, okay? Was buried three days later, rose from the grave. Do you even, do you even, do you even understand that? Let alone all of these other things. And just get to the basics, because that's exactly what Paul did. Some people will reject Christ because they don't want to accept the changes he makes in our character. We want to continue holding grudges, gossiping, lying, cheating, and simply living for self. But check out how the Apostle Paul responds in closing, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. When people reject you and mock you and turn others against you, sometimes it makes you want to give up. But don't. They're not rejecting and mocking you. It feels personal. Don't. They're reject, rejecting the message of reconciliation. They're rejecting salvation. It should drive you to your knees. It should drive you to pray more for them. 
Just know that the joy of the Lord is your strength, as it says in Nehemiah 10. So stick to the plan. Nothing could shake Paul. Why? Because he knew the grace of God, the very grace that he encouraged the people in Antioch to continue in. The very grace that saved Paul and saves all who believe in Jesus Christ until the day that we go to be with him forever. Expect opposition. Stick to the plan. Sometimes suffering is harder than dying. Fighting to live is more difficult than surrendering to death and defeat. Persevere, saint, and remain steadfast in the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us. And I pray, Lord, for all of us, Lord, that you would continue to be patient with us. Let us never take for granted your grace. The very fact that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, your word tells us that we shall be saved. I pray, Father, that we would be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And we, as John the Baptist said, could also say, May he must increase, but I must decrease continually. Lord, help us to be clear-minded and let our hearts be completely devoted to you. For we have come to know salvation. And if we don't know salvation, someone here, oh, Lord, I ask that you would break down any barriers that they have, any idols that they're placing before you, anything within them that they think is better than you. Let them see and taste how good you are. Let them understand that tomorrow is not promised to anyone and that salvation is being offered today. Let them repent and come to ask you to be Lord and Savior at this very moment. We thank you, Lord, and we pray.